0: The following is a special series of the Darden Ideas to Action podcast, focusing on the power of disruptive innovations.
1: Good Disruption, a lively discussion between UVA Darden School of Business professors Yael Grushka-Kukain and Mike Lennox on cutting-edge technologies and practices that are challenging the status quo. Good afternoon, Mike.
2: Good afternoon, Yael. Good How, to see you.
1: Good to see you. How are you today? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm curious, how did you get to work today?
2: I drove an electric vehicle, one of the Teslas.
1: (laughs) Yes, I've noticed that you um, are one of uh, several faculty members here at Darden that has a Tesla. Um, Can you tell me a little bit, I'm curious, uh, how long have you had it, and do you like it?
2: So I was one of those people that when they announced the Model 3 from Tesla, I put my name in right away. And within the first 48 hours, I was already number 250,000 on the list, and then had to wait two years to finally get it. So I've had it for now a couple years and just absolutely love it, absolutely love it.
1: What made you so excited to get it from the get-go? It seems like you were a pretty fast adopter and an early adopter. What was it about it that uh, got you excited?
2: So it kind of appeals to like the two things that I love, right? One is I love technology, I love digitization, and I love and I'm concerned very much about sustainability issues. So this kind of hit me in both spots here. I cared about the environmental impact and I cared about the kind of cool new technology that it represented.
1: And uh, looking around, we see more and more individuals around us that we know uh, together, or that you probably know in your private life, um, have an electric vehicle. What do you think makes it so attractive to the majority of the people? Not you, as somebody who's heavily, you know, involved <laughs> and invested in technology and in sustainability and climate. Um, just for the for the average individual, what is the you know the exciting thing there?
2: Yeah, I mean, as you can tell, I'm a fanboy of these things, and 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 what's I think makes them so exciting is the performance advantages beyond the environmental benefits and the like here. Um, so let me just name a few here, right? Okay, So good. you've probably heard of the acceleration. I mean, incredibly fast off the uh, off the line. I'm a fast um,
1: driver. Don't get me excited about that. That sounds a little bit dangerous to I, me, no?
2: I always say you don't get pulled over for accelerating. You only get ex- pulled over for speeding. So okay, that's getting up know. to speed, you can do that as quickly as you want. Um, because it has a battery stack in the base, uh, it actually uh, has great handling because you have the weight, low center of gravity uh, for the car. One of my favorite features though, that I think a lot of people don't appreciate is the regenerative braking. So unlike a regular internal combustion engine, when you take your foot off the gas, the car actually slows down quite quickly, almost like a golf cart, if you've ever driven a golf cart. And so what that means is when you're here, like in Charlottesville, driving around on these backcountry roads, um, you don't ever actually use your brake. You can just kind of lay off on the gas a little bit and a car will slow down and you take the corners. Even coming to a stop sign, it's, it's almost been like a game of mine to like, can I make it all the way to stop? sign without hitting the brake. And and you you really can if you plan it out, maybe like the last second you hit your brake. Um, So it's just a lot of fun to drive. Um, It's also very effective in terms of like lifetime cost of maintenance is is very low. Um, The electricity versus gas is cheaper. Um, So it just has all these great Great performance benefits. You definitely, you definitely need to get one. Uh,
1: I'm, I'm, in the market for one for sure, and they definitely look pretty cool when you see them on the road. And they're getting uh, nicer, and nicer in design and color selection, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit more later on. But how, you know, we've had a lot of snow here recently. How, how did it do in the snow?
2: Um, didn't do great on my driveway. It was okay. kind of icy, but this, that was kind of an ice storm, so that was an extreme version there. In general, it's, it's held up, you know, really well here. And again, it gets back to the handling is amazing.
1: Okay, perfect. Um, Bigger picture here, you know, you're a strategy professor. You do a lot of uh, teaching and talking about disruptive technologies. What makes electrical vehicles a disruptive technology?
2: Yeah, so when we think about disruption, uh, there are some patterns that we see. If new technologies are going to take over a market. Uh, the first is S-curves. So this classic idea that as a technology improves, it doesn't do so linearly. Often early on, you're investing a lot of money, you're trying to improve it, and you're not really getting much performance benefit. But if it's going to be disruptive, you get to the sweet spot where it really starts to take off. So when for electric- you say
1: take off, you mean performance over time. So you're thinking about yeah. the time, and maybe at, some, at the beginning it's slower, but then suddenly the performance Really improves daily uh, in in a rapid fashion.
2: Exactly, and so you know, electric vehicles have been around actually since the beginning of automobiles. There was electric vehicles way back in like 1910 and the like, but for a variety of reasons, they fell out of favor and they were kind of dropped for the better part of the 20th century. Uh, And it's only been over the last 20 so years that we really started to reinvest and reinvigorate our investment in electric vehicles. So what's happened over the last decade that is just phenomenal is effectively the price of batteries have come down substantially here. And so that's, you know, the opposite side of the S-curve, but this idea of kind of exponential uh, growth here in the performance of these vehicles, the cost of these vehicles has come down. Uh, and, And that's when you start to get these kind of interesting market dynamics taking place. So clearly we've seen that with electric vehicles. The, the second thing from a kind of business strategy and economic standpoint that I think is is fascinating is we often see massive entry, lots of companies getting in on this new technology with electric vehicles. We see that with Tesla, of course, and Rivian and uh, BYD out of China. But we also see the incumbent auto manufacturers now all jumping in and coming out with electric vehicles, which is exactly what we would expect. Um, the next phase, my guess, is what we're going to see is what we call a shakeout, um, where increased competition, and some companies aren't going to make it. Um, and that, again, is just part of the natural process of disruption. So if you start reading the tea leaves, this, this is an industry and a technology that that seems to be getting into that really sweet spot of disruption that we would expect to see.
1: Beautiful. And you mentioned two things that were interesting there. One. Um, the fact that you talked about um, the technology, some of it existed for a while now. It's just that other components like the battery uh, uh, pricing and technology has improved. Uh, AI and the industry of AI, and you know, a lot of the methods and the statistics behind it is not new, but we didn't have the computer power or the data to utilize it. Now that everything, the time is right and everything is coming together, we're seeing an explosion in AI and machine learning, but some of the methods are not that new. And so the idea that a technology that we've been waiting for a while to you know, to benefit from and to uh, to really wi- uh, ride the wave now is its heyday um, in front of us. And exactly. Then,
2: I always say, like, you know, it seems like technology isn't going to come until it does. Right? <laughs> and it tends to happen quicker than most people uh, estimate
1: Right. At the end right. Of the day. Um, and, and the seas were there for a while. Um, yeah. And another thing you mentioned that I had kind of been thinking about is, a lot of companies, um, you know, car manufacturers that we all know and familiar with, they were kind of playing it safe, or maybe not making too many bold commitments around entering into this market. And now they're coming out with statements almost every day. Uh, I think Toyota was one of the re- recent uh, headlines that I saw that they're making bold predictions around, you know, their their activity in this area. And so. The change of heart—is it because they're seeing success by other companies, or is it because they don't want to remain, or they want to fight like the incumbents and, and survive this wave, or uh, what? Do, what do you think that shakeout? I think, is I think about? it
2: depends. So Toyota is fascinating because right now, you know, when we talk electric vehicles, we really are typically talking about battery-powered electric vehicles. There is an alternative technology that's been out there, again, for decades that people have been pursuing, which are hydrogen fuel cells. Yeah. Toyota has actually been pushing the hydrogen fuel cell um, alternative, and they even have some cars in production that are out on the road. However, the momentum is all with battery-powered electric vehicles. And I think this recent announcement by Toyota is an admission that they were missing the boat here by pushing hydrogen fuel cells. I don't think they're giving up on that, um, but battery-powered electrics really are kind of where the market is. Just to give you some data on this, just last year, we reached uh, 6.75 million vehicles sold, electric vehicles, up 108% from the previous year. And this is despite a market that actually an auto market that's been, you know, very much depressed for a variety of reasons with COVID and, uh, and the like. So now we're up to 8% of light vehicle sales are electric vehicles which again is double from where it was the year before and battery electrics make up 71% of that so it's the vast majority the, the other percent by the way are hybrids mm-hmm. um so plug-in hybrids which have been on the road for a while i'm i'm kind of um bearish on on hybrids i think they're a transition technology that will probably go away as battery powered electrics kind of take off here
1: I'm, I used to own a mini disc player. I don't know if you remember <laughs> yeah, those. You remember those. I yeah. think that those were You're ones. Aging that, yourself here. Yes, I know, <laughs> and it kind of was one of those technologies that came and went because it just served as a transition generation uh, in many ways. I still own a few of those. Yeah. <laughs> um, globally, uh, I mean, we focus a lot on the U.S. and clearly Tesla is such a big player here locally. Um, uh, how does how does the market look globally? How are these uh, powers and these effects playing out in the global market?
2: Well, well Tesla, to be clear, is a global player. Uh, number one. EV company in the world. Uh, They had over 900,000 sales deliveries uh, just last year. They're producing not only in the US, but in China, uh, and very soon in in Europe as well. Uh, Number two is the Volkswagen Group. So there you have an established incumbent who's made a big push uh, for electric vehicles. Out of Europe. Out of Europe. Uh, And then number three, interestingly enough, is a company called BYD out of China. So they produced 600,000 vehicles last year or sold 600,000 vehicles. And this is actually a big push by the Chinese government um, as part of their, you know, development plans, their industrial policy is pushing electric vehicles. So um, when we look globally of like where adoption's is occurring, um, the U.S. is definitely on that trajectory. But Europe and China in particular are actually far outpacing us in terms of the number of EVs hitting the roads these days.
1: And what is it in those countries or in those territories and, and continents that is making them um, be so ahead of the curve? Why are they Outselling us uh, by such a factor.
2: Yeah, I think it's probably a combination of things. Uh, in Europe, uh, they've had historically high gas prices for a variety of reasons, partly also because of regulation and, and taxes on uh, gasoline. Um, I also think it's just maybe general consumer sentiment. Um, there might, there might be more of an eco uh, ethos in in Europe where people are willing, at this point at least, to pay a premium uh, for electric vehicles. Definitely
1: in some countries in Europe. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: You know, yeah. if you want to be a cool kid, you want to be driving an EV, and so um, I think that's part of of it. Um, but, you know, the US is coming along as well. I, I think the big transformational moment here uh, is Ford coming out with what they're calling the electric, the uh, Ford F-150 in an electric format. The F-150, by the way, has been the number one car sale in the US uh, for decades now. And so that one coming out with electric could be that kind of tipping point where people really see like, oh, these, these are worthwhile. This is the benefit um, that we that we get out of EVs.
1: It's the iPhone moment. It might be the EVs. iPhone moment.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly.
1: Well, with all uh, disruptions, there's also some uh, bad sides or negative uh, components and fallouts from it. So what what do you see as some things for us to c- be concerned about with this disruption?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the thing you hear a lot about is, uh, you know, this requires a lot of electricity. And in the US, for example, if we electrify our entire fleet of vehicles, it probably means something close to like a 50% increase in the amount of electricity generated to to power those cars. So that that's going to cause a disruption there. And, and, you know, the disruption we're seeing with renewable energy and electric u- utilities, um, that's going to be part of this story. Um, The the other piece that I think is kind of fascinating is if, in fact, we see a massive adoption of these electric vehicles, and I'm I'm optimistic, I'm actually one of those who believes that by the end of this decade, by 2030, the vast majority of new car sales are going to be electric vehicles, that's going to significantly reduce the demand for gasoline and oil. What does that mean? Well, that means we're probably moving into an era of very low prices for oil. Um, our global oil market works in a way that, you know, there are more expensive ways to extract than others. So there are places like the tar sands in Canada that one could argue already aren't profitable given current oil prices. Fracking in the U.S., I would be wary that as these prices come down, the fracking industry is going to really suffer here in the U.S. Um, and so there's going to be disruptions through kind of our global energy industry here as these trajectories with electrification of vehicles take place. The other piece I would emphasize is batteries. Um, uh, they 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 sometimes have nasty stuff in them, like cobalt, which comes from you know areas of the world where perhaps the mining of it is not done in the most ethical way. Um, there's issues with disposal of the batteries at the end of life, which we uh, always
1: always have to deal with with batteries. We do, we yeah. do,
2: and you know we have to deal with our personal computers and our okay. phones and the like. Now, um, uh, there's again interesting innovations taking place to try to like for example remove cobalt from the batteries to try to recycle batteries. One of the interesting things I've seen is the potential to use batteries from electric vehicles and use them for utilities as a backup um, storage uh, device at the end of their life as a, as a car battery. Um, so I, I remain optimistic that those problems will kind of work themselves out as we, as we kind of move forward here.
1: And so, as we think about maybe um, the business side of things—the the Teslas, the Rivians of the world—and their role in thinking about the negativity or the spillover effects from from this uh, disruption, what do you think is on their mind? How are they preparing, and how are they helping the market? Uh, get to this revolution in the best possible way. Well, I
2: think they're thinking about driving the future. But I I actually want to bring in a guest, a friend of ours, friend of the programs, if you will, here, to help us out, which is uh, Adam Happel. Adam uh, is a graduate of our Darden School of Business. Um, Adam, I think the last time I saw you, you were uh, we were at Tesla together. But you have now moved on from Tesla; they are too old and stodgy for you. And you are now at at Rivian. So, Adam, let me uh, welcome you to our our podcast here,
0: and and just love to hear a little bit about you know what are you up to these days. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Ale, for having me on. I'm um, really happy to be here with you guys. And that's right. So I've been at Rivian for the last year and a half now. After spending uh, man about four years with combined solar city and and Tesla. So I've seen the the EV market grow, particularly as it pertains to sort of that nexus between renewable energy and electric mobility. Um, So now I'm over at at Rivian where I lead our consumer charging business. So basically you need to charge your vehicle, 70, 80, 90% of uh, electric vehicle owners charge at home. I oversee the business that sells our chargers and works to install them for, for our customers. Um, And again, yeah, been here about a year and a half. It's it's been great. Let let me ask you a question about the charging.
2: Um, My hot take is whenever somebody complains to me about like, well, how do you charge your vehicle? Is that, it's actually easy. If anything, it's harder to get gas from my car than it is to charge my vehicle because at least I'm fortunate enough to you know, have a driveway where I can plug the car in at night. So it's almost always a full tank. Am, am I thinking about this the right way or are there problems that I'm missing here with the charging infrastructure?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, Most, most EV owners today do, do the majority of their charging at home or at work. So essentially, as you said, you can wake up every morning or leave the office every day with what's essentially a full charge. And that means no more stopping at gas stations, no more kind of thinking do I have enough gas to get to where I'm going to get to the gas station. Um, essentially you wake up and you've got whatever the range of your EV is, 200, 300 plus miles.
1: So I don't have to worry about Adam, I don't have to worry about what happens when my local gas station runs out of gas like it did last year. And-
0: exactly, exactly. And, you know, we've all seen the long lines and especially when things like storms are coming in, I you know, you guys are experiencing some winter weather lately and there's runs on gasoline, things like that. Um, Whereas it's much more advantageous to have an EV. And on top of that, the public infrastructure is growing really, really quickly today. So the availability of third-party networks or captive networks for the OEMs are, are just sort of getting bigger and bigger and bigger every year.
2: What about the um, the investments in infrastructure we're seeing like here in the United States with the uh, infrastructure bill, I imagine in other countries as well. How important are they for the eventual kind of diffusion here of
0: EVs? Yeah, it's really important that we do build out really robust infrastructure. And it's for a couple of reasons. You know, first of all, just for peace of mind, I think a lot of times the question that comes up on first-time EV buyers or drivers is, well, how do i charge where do i charge on the road um what's going on as you get better and not better more and more experienced at driving your ev you realize hey that's for very specific use cases right long road trips staying overnight at a hotel maybe topping off when you're shopping or eating at a restaurant but not necessarily the primary use of of charging or it can be right and the, you know the more prevalent it is if you if you live somewhere that you can't charge at home uh, the easier it is to charge on the road. So one is just peace of mind. Um, you know where, where it falls with who's responsible for doing that, I think one, it's great that we have um, infrastructure bills being passed where, um, as an example, in the US, right? The, there's incentives, possibly mandates to go ahead and, and go ahead and install infrastructure. But really, when you look at the private networks that are already out there doing this, it's a business. It's a business opportunity. And you have EVgo, Electrify America, ChargePoint, NLX. Like, They're all out there doing this because they think it's a business opportunity. I love that point because I think that's really important here
2: is that as we get these markets evolving, the the, the rest of the market kind of steps in and, and helps make this transition occur here. It, it isn't just on the backs of like the federal government that this will happen, that, that that in fact, private entities are already stepping up and helping build out that that infrastructure. That's right.
1: And um, but I'm sure, Adam, that you also come across the, the skeptics, those people who uh, don't think that it's actually going to continue to grow, that it will actually at some point truncate or reach a plateau. What is your reaction or how do you respond to those folks who are more, you know, a bit more hesitant or more they like their their gasoline uh, car and, and are devoted to it?
0: Sure. Yeah. Every, you know, the joke is everyone has that uncle at Thanksgiving that's going to kind of throw a wrench in all of our plans and question all of that. So. Um, you know, there's a couple things that come up. I, I think one is is just hesitancy to adopt new technology, and, and that's seen across the board for anything else. Whether it's cell phones and then smartphones, whether it's um, man, I'm trying to think of a good new technology. Probably adding air conditioning to your home, right? Like there's all kinds of things that we've seen that adoption curve that Mike you were talking about earlier. Um, that for some it just requires. Um, lower cost, lower barrier to entry. Others, it requires like in in the world of electric vehicles, literally just getting behind the wheel and driving one. I think the experience alone of um, the acceleration, the performance, the lower maintenance, the never having to go to the gas station. Once you experience driving an electric vehicle, it's really hard to go back to to internal combustion engines, particularly for day-to-day use, commuting, things like that. And obviously there's outliers all over the place. Everyone says, well, how do I tow, you know, a 20,000 pound trailer? And I'm like, okay, well, we're maybe not ready for that yet, but we're getting there very, very quickly. As an example, the Rivian that I drive can tow 11,000 pounds. So um, we're getting closer and closer to parity there. And uh, for the majority of everyday use, I think it just comes down to getting those skeptics behind the wheel and seeing how great the cars are, cars and trucks are.
1: And maybe those skeptics are the ones that give you the good ideas to tackle next in the way that you just described, right? If it's the trailer that they want to to understand how they can pull around, that's where you should focus on. So in a way, those skeptics are the ones that help us develop the products even faster, right?
2: Yeah. I, I, look, I think your last point is really important here with EVs, um, and I think it isn't fully appreciated out there in the, in the marketplace or in the world, which is if we continue down this cost curve that we're seeing, we're perhaps only a couple years away from EVs being less costly. Than internal combustion engines, and at that point, you know the barriers to adoption to me seem likely to go away. Um, it, it will just simply be these are superior to the alternative, and that's that's often how disruption occurs, right? It's when you get where the current dimensions of merit are just superior on the new technology, you get the flip. And, and again, it is often the case the new technology at first is worse. But that's why are the S-curves come in? It's overtaking the old technology. Um, and I, I think we're getting close to that. I think we're getting close to that.
1: Um, a question to both of you, actually, is like, as a society um, for, on its various dimensions, why, you know, what, what can we do to make the most out of this opportunity?
0: There's a couple things happening all at once when we talk about the world of electrified mobility, um, particularly when it pertains to like personal vehicles or personal transportation. I think one is, you know, there there's these new technologies coming online. They're, they're not actually that new to your, to your earlier point um, when you talk about electric vehicles, but all of the things that come along with that, that make our lives simpler, make our lives better, are what are really exciting. So One, we've got just the simplicity and convenience of an electric drivetrain relative to the thousands of moving parts in a a typical vehicle, ICE vehicle. So the the simplicity is great. The other is that these are vehicles that get better and better over time because you can have over the air updates. So when you have a vehicle that's entirely based on an electric architecture versus mechanical and thermal motivation to go forward and, and perform, we can make these better and better and better just with over-the-air updates so that they push out and suddenly your car or your truck performs better every single day. That's what's really exciting. And then the last piece is like, it really does drive new renewable energy generation. So um, I was just looking at a report from EIA, and over the last year, more renewable energy came online than did non-renewables. And the estimate is that it's just going to keep happening more and more over time. So when you think about what electric vehicles are doing, and as we're driving more demand for electricity, more demand for renewable energy. We're actually getting cleaner and cleaner and cleaner on the grid over time, and a lot of that is driven by the adoption of things like electric vehicles. So it's pretty exciting to see all of the ancillary benefits come along. Beautiful. Yeah, I was, you know, probably a topic
2: for a future podcast of ours on this good disruption theme here is renewable energy, but there is this interesting vision and and you know, Adam has been a part of this all the way back to his solar city days of put a solar panel on your home, you have an electric vehicle in the driveway with a big battery, maybe a battery stack on the wall. You can do some creative things in the way you generate electricity. You might sell it back to the grid. You might consume it at various points depending on the demands you need. And you can get some really interesting efficiencies in your electrical grid that, that we don't have now in our kind of traditional linear um, uh, electrical system here.
1: And it makes me less worried about snowstorms and losing power. Is that correct?
2: Absolutely. If you see the new F-150, that's one of their value propositions is you can you know, charge your home uh, with, the, with the vehicle there. So definitely, definitely an exciting idea.
1: Um, Adam, you, uh, you got your MBA here, uh, you are a student here at Darden. Um, a lot of our listeners are, are, are members of our community at large. Uh, my question to both of you is, more broadly, you know, business school, students, leaders, professors, uh, this is an industry, but it's an industry. Like, why should everybody care about, you know, the electric vehicle industry beyond just folks that are interested in the auto vehicle industry?
2: Well, look, I'll say, you know, clearly, if you're an incumbent auto manufacturer, this is both an opportunity but also it's probably pretty scary. And uh, if you look at the history of disruption, um, more often than not, the incumbent firms fail and struggle. Uh, it's the the entrepreneurial entrants, the Teslas and the Rivians who who often do quite well in these worlds. It's not universal. And uh, and I am sure some of our incumbent auto manufacturers will make the leap uh, and, and be successful in this brave world. Um, I also think some of them are going to fail. Uh, some of the big Global auto manufacturers will probably struggle and fail to make this transition. Uh, And again, that's natural. That's what happens with with disruption. It's why we call it disruption. And we shouldn't undersell that, you know, that's very impactful for those jobs and and those people who work for those companies. Um, But that's also part of the renewal process of our economy. And so, you know, building anew with something electric vehicles, you know, again, it creates opportunities, too.
1: Okay. And beyond the auto manufacturing industry. I mean, if I'm a student or a business leader in the retail space, I bet you they should be thinking about this too, right?
2: I think so. Adam, you know your your company is making uh, trucks, obviously. Um, can you speak a little bit to the uh, to the to the kind of commercial market beyond the kind
0: of individual consumer market? Yeah. Um, so, well, let, let me back up. I think there's two really complementary forces happening in the industry today. And the first one is that OEMs and new entrants like our company, like Rivian, are pushing technology forward, right? We're kind of inventing new things, we're bringing them to market, we're coming up with good ideas, we're building a brand, and it's pretty exciting. For me, what the really exciting thing is, as well, is that on the consumer side of the the equation, like the demand is there and we are racing to meet it. Right? Like we almost can't make vehicles fast enough. If you look at the demand for the Tesla model three, when it came out, I was working at Tesla. I think there was something like 400,000 pre-orders in the first week. Um, I believe Ford just had to stop taking pre-orders for their F-150 Lightning because the demand is so far outstripping manufacturing capacity that they're like trying to slow down. The demand for our vehicle is, is so high right now that we are, you know, we're all patting ourselves on the back, but also taking a big deep breath and saying, how do we do this? Um, so that's what's really exciting for me in, in the industry as a whole. And then when you look at beyond just the consumer vehicles, we're also, as an example, making an electric delivery van. Um, our first customer is Amazon. We've committed to building 100,000 vans for them. Um, and we're not alone, right? So if you look at all these big transportation logistics companies, they're looking at those commercial markets and saying, how do we electrify our fleet? And fleet electrification is. One of the simplest math equations you can do because the total cost of ownership and maintenance of an electric vehicle relative to an internal combustion engine vehicle is so much lower over the long term that it's almost a no-brainer. You're no longer paying like highly variable gasoline or diesel prices, right? That fluctuate based on macroeconomic factors beyond our all of our control. Um, when you just think about the brakes, oil changes, regular maintenance that has to be done to the engine, like the cost is so much lower to run these very simple electric vehicles that the commercial markets are going to drive a lot of the adoption of EVs as well. Um, and that's pretty exciting, you know, when, when, you, when you step back and think about it, because um, the volumes that can come through that is, is pretty, pretty impressive and pretty exciting. So that, that's where, um, you know, a lot of the, the action is going to be as well. Um, there's companies out there making electric buses, heavy machinery, like all of the things that we think about today in transportation are finding ways to electrify.
2: That, that, that is really exciting. Well, we, we're getting towards the end of our, our podcast. But, uh, Adam, we have a question uh, that we want to ask uh, every week of our podcast here, which is good disruption, bad disruption or no disruption. So I think I know what your answer is going to be, but I'd like to hear it from you. For electric vehicles, good, bad, or no disruption? Good disruption. All right.
1: (laughs) And I'm going to ask you, Mike, the same question. Ah,
2: You know where I stand on this, (laughs) yeah. It is a good disruption in my mind. I, I do take one caution, which is you think about something like the internal combustion engine in the original automobile. That was arguably a good disruption itself, right? I mean, clearly impacted our lives in so many different ways. It actually even had an environmental good aspect to it because at the time, uh, manure from horse-drawn carriages was a huge issue in especially major cities and like, how do you collect and dispose of that? Here we are 100 plus years later, and we're worried about the carbon emissions from uh, internal combustion engines and the like. Um, I'm hopeful that, you know, we, we might not see those types of impacts of electric vehicles, but you never know. So, But I, I am clearly in the camp of uh, good disruption as well.
1: Beautiful. Well, thank you both. Uh, this was uh, definitely enlightening, and um, it was a pleasure. So.
2: And let me thank our producer, Gary, our researcher, Becky, and of course, Adam, thank you once again for uh, joining us. Thank you so much. Pleasure being on the show.
1: Good Disruption is a podcast from the University of Virginia Darden School of Business.